0: Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network. Member FINRA SIPPIC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the hosts, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLVL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security. And if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective, and the investment suitability. All right, after that. Now, today is March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, and I am joined in studio here in S-A-Pro with Mr. Eric O'Connor from Connor Wealth Management on this St. Patty's Day. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Everyone's Irish today. That's right. You're Irish every day, though, aren't you?
1: You got it. All right. But, yeah, we can joke around about O'Connor when the... uh When the family migrated from Ireland, call it 125 years ago, I don't don't know my family tree well enough, uh, we actually were O'Connor, leaving Ireland. Really? Yes. And then apparently if you drop the O, no one will know that you were Irish.
0: Oh, how clever.
1: Yeah. I'm (laughs) I'm not quite sure about the logic back then, but uh, yeah, that's our... That's our camouflage for our name. And uh, so, for the hundred plus years that uh, the family's been in, in the States, it's just been Connor. And uh, your secret's been safe, I, I safely guess, kept. I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess that's our, our legacy of uh, sneakiness on the Connor side.
0: Oh, boy. Well, you had me fooled the whole time. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there you go. As far as my family tree goes, I'm pretty sure I fell out of it. <laughs> You're, you're,
1: you're one of the uh, the bruised apples on the ground.
0: Yes, I am. <laughs> but I make for great cider. So, did you watch the... Uh, what's that new uh, basketball thing going on? Uh, the the tournament? The NCAA tournament? Yeah, what is it called? The March Madness. That's it, March Madness. Yes, as the, as the uh, WLVL sports director, I know these things. <laughs> <clears throat> so
1: uh, watched enough because in the first couple of days... There's always the, uh, the upsets, right? Uh, that's where it gets the name March Madness. And, uh, yesterday was, um, I would say par for the course. We had four seed Virginia lose, and then a short time later was number two seed Arizona lost to a 15 seed. Ooh, that hurt. That, uh, that hurts a lot of brackets, um... It's not the first time that a two-seed has been upset, but it sure doesn't happen many times. It's uh, uh maybe the third or fourth time it's happened, I think. So, Arizona somehow uh did not score at the end and so they had been up 55 to 50 and the game ended 59-55. So oh, they the other man. team scored the last 9 points. Now I will say I might have had a little bit of um responsibility there because earlier in the week i was in tucson for a business trip and so maybe i brought them some bad luck i don't know i mean the the game was held in sacramento california so but i was in tucson which is where the university of arizona
0: it is is
1: is located and uh i don't know maybe i brought them a little bad irish luck or something out there Hmm. but i bet it wasn't snowing in tucson It was not. It was, uh, it was very lovely weather for, um, for the time I was there. Uh, I flew out on, uh, I went out on Sunday. It was beautiful Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then Wednesday, when I had to fly back to lovely New York, it had started to actually rain. So The timing was excellent. I'm sure. I'm sure there was panic on the streets with the fact that it was raining. But um, yeah, really lovely out there. Cactuses galore. Interesting. Um, Got to see actual roadrunner birds. Nice. You know, they're not going beep beep all over the place. But
0: they have an acme box delivered. Correct. Yeah,
1: the coyote was all over. Um, They do have a uh, interesting wild boar out there called the javelina i saw one uh kind of hiding behind a cactus which sounds almost like i'm trying to start a joke or something but it was hiding behind a cactus right
0: (laughs) so that's a good place for him
1: yeah yeah it can stay over there absolutely and for anyone else heading out um they they informed us that next week is when the rattlesnakes come out not it wasn't this week. It's next week.
0: Your timing is impeccable.
1: And I jokingly said, did the snakes have a calendar? How would they know when to come out? Like, it was 80 degrees. Like, they they just wait until you get into March the 20th or something. And, uh, hey, whatever. I didn't get to see a rattlesnake, and I'm A-OK with that.
0: That's right. We leave them alone. They leave us alone. Life is good, unless they want to become a pair of boots or a purse or something. Yeah, yeah. They say it tastes like chicken. I don't I don't care to find out.
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about trying it either. Uh, yep. And just as a total aside, that wild boar that's out there, you don't eat them at all because they just don't have enough meat on their bones. So, like down south, uh, you would. There are people that would go boar hunting, and right. you'd, you'd roast it like a pig, sure. In essence, like a wild pig. Well, the whatever this javelina thing is out out in Arizona, it's sort of so small and stocky that there's not anything worth eating on it. So. Hmm. Not that it matters to us, because I would not have been partaking anyway, but nope, uh,
0: nope, nope, nope just nope, nope, interesting nope. wildlife out there yeah it 's a whole different whole different world from what I remember when I was there life is life is different, yeah, so at any anyway, rate, ladies and gentlemen, if you are just joining us, we are talking to uh, Eric Connor, who is President CEO of Connor. Wealth Management, located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in Lockport. And if you would like to uh, perhaps have a consultation with him, you can call his office at 439-1143, 439 But in the meantime, if you would like to talk with him, anything financial, give us a call here and you can join our conversation on the air at 433-1433, that's 433-1443. Thirty-three. So, uh, Eric, where do we start? This has been a really, really interesting week. Well, like, oh, we'll have to jump right into the bank side of the world. Oh, geez, we get. Oh, this is customer service. Yeah, we don't want to talk to them. <laughs> Our car warranty has yes, expired. Yes, that's exactly what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the S, uh, S, uh, SV, SVB.
1: Yeah, so, uh, uh, had had a lot of had a lot of news over the last um I guess it would be eight trading days now if we count today. Um Silicon Valley Bank Corp started off the the wackiness last week um saying that um they had a little bit of a impairment and what what that starts from is all banks hold money in reserves, and some of them, most of them, will own some sort of bond portfolio. And in Silicon Valley's, Silicon Valley Bank Corp's case, they had chosen as a financial decision to liquidate the portfolio at about a $2 billion loss. And so then, To make up for that loss, they had the intention of raising money through a stock sale, both uh, some common shares and some preferred shares. Well, as it turns out, no one was interested. Not enough people were interested. So that led to a bigger problem where um, for people that had large amounts of money in the bank, they got nervous and they, in essence, had a good old-fashioned Run on the bank, which is they were demanding their money so that they could move it to another bank. Because if you have more than two hundred fifty thousand in a in an account in um, one registration, it's not insured by the FDIC insurance of that the government provides. So they ended up having massive outflows, and by Friday the bank was insolvent. Which again, if if you've got less than 250,000 in those accounts, in those registrations, you're fine. But for the companies that maybe had, you know, they're sitting there with $10 million or $20 million a week of payroll, something like that, or, or their account size was that big anyway, um, that quickly became a problem. And so that had a spillover effect and it, it, um, uh, resulted in the government taking them over which is what happens uh, when you're insolvent and it also affected a bank called signature bank which neither neither of those banks really had any impact on local people here from a normal checking or savings account basis you know there we didn't have branches around here there wouldn't have been any particular reason someone had an account with those banks but uh, nonetheless, if uh, what the government did was say, hey, even if you are above the FDIC insurance limit, we're going to make it a no-loss situation for you. There's enough assets there and enough uh, money backstopping the situation. We can make you all whole. So no loss to people. Well, what that did, though, within the whole market, the banking sector of the market, It roiled the waters, to use a fancy word that probably doesn't roll off my tongue very well. Roiled the waters. So you've had tremendous volatility in the mid-level banks, small and mid-level banks. Um, I could throw a lot of names out, but if you look at any chart of, of most of the local banks, you'll see they've had a very volatile week, even if there's not anything to worry about for those banks. So that's been the drama of the week, the tremendous volatility for banks that are basically unaffected. They still went had a lot of choppiness both directions, both going up and going down, Uh, often going down and then having a a jolt back higher. So uh, it continued until yesterday where there was finally um, an announcement on First Republic Bank, which is a San Francisco-based bank that that had a lot of uh, Silicon Valley area tech companies involved. Not not to confuse it with the fact that Silicon Valley Bank had, a trope, had issues, but, but a lot of First Republic business was in Silicon Valley on the tech sector. So they took in, uh, the government had arranged for sort of a industry bailout where 11 different banks, I think it is, deposited money, to shore up the, right. the cash reserves of First Republic. And so it ended up being $30 billion injected. The money's got to stay there at least 120 days. Uh, First Republic announced that they're going to eliminate their common stock dividend for now. And basically, it, it's a situation where they took in these deposits and now they just need time. They just need time to go buy so things calm down so that pricing gets better on their bond portfolio and people would, you know, in essence, stop taking money out of the bank and not have a, a deposit loss situation. L- uh, shrinkage, not, not loss in terms of anyone losing money. So what that's done for the stock is it's bounced it all over creation. Last Friday, it had a low of 45 bucks and a high up above 90, all in the same day. This week it's had a low, I think, down about 20, oh and has been back as high as 50. And yesterday at the close, it was around 34 and some change. And right now, after that bailout and the terms of the bailout, it's around 27 So when I'm talking volatility, those are the kind of numbers I'm talking, right? You should not have a large bank last Friday go down to 45 and then go back up to 90 and then this week go from that $90 all the way down to 20 and go back up to 50. Like it's, it's been extremely, extremely volatile. Now, as I'll sort of wrap up to that and sort of basically saying, I don't think there's, tremendous problems in the banking sector. That is not what's going on. What happened is the banks that have had the most suffering in stock price are the ones that have lots of uninsured level deposits, right? That's ultimately where the risk is. If, you're, if your account and your bank is full of below $250,000 bank accounts size, you have no problems. You have no issues, right? You're fully insured. The stock price has no uh, challenge to it in terms of a run on the bank situation. But for the other ones that had lots of high dollar ones, that's where we've seen the volatility. All that being said, the stock market is up for the week. Right. So uh, we've had phone calls at the office. We've had people making sure that what we're doing, where their money is, how they're set up. They're worried that um, there's something they might need to do. We've had plenty of phone calls about that. But you wouldn't have guessed it on Monday. The market's higher today, or higher for the week. Right. Uh, I think the number I heard, I think, is 5% on the NASDAQ and 2% on the S&P okay. heading into today. Um, right now, we're down a little bit a little bit on, uh, across the board, but you know, it's an hour into the market day and we got five and a half hours to go. So who knows how we end up? Um, but you know, this it kind of becomes one of those moments again, where, where we sort of point out, you don't know how the whole market's going to respond. Right. So in theory, you have a big broken window situation, right? Like heavy winds were blowing and you had your your picture window in your house broke and you think everything's a disaster. Well, the rest of the market doesn't think it's a disaster because in the weird way that the market sort of digests everything, what do they assume? Hey, interest rates aren't going to keep going up because the Fed movement on interest rates higher and higher and higher is where this pressure in the banking system has, accru- has happened, right? The law of unintended consequences. Yes. So the market, how do they react? They sort of assume, well, Fed meets next week. Maybe that'll just be 25 basis points and then probably they'll be done. That's their assumptions immediately. Whether it's true or not, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see how it all plays out. We still need inflation numbers to, to trend lower. Um, we still, ultimately, the Fed needs to see uh, the employment Situation calm down a little bit, so that there's not quite as much wage pressure in the system. But obviously, the the short term uh, analysis that that market movers are putting into this is this bad news for the banks is probably good news for a lot of the economy, and so it's a, it gives you that strange reaction. You would. Your gut would probably tell you that this market would be this would have been a bad week. It would have been bad all around, Um, you know. uh, Cats and dogs living together, you know, whatever that old joke was. Uh, But it ended up being up so far. So you know, it's it's one of those things where the more you think you're sure of something. The market sometimes just grins and laughs at you and says, "Nah, we're gonna
0: we'll do this. We're
1: gonna do we're gonna do this a different way, and we're gonna head higher on technology and consumer staples and consumer discretionary, and we're even gonna move utilities a little bit higher. And it wouldn't really have been what you expected when you heard that there was some trouble in the banking sector. But again, across the board, there isn't really trouble in the banking sector, right? It is defined issues with a couple of banks that had tremendously lopsided account sizes. So in Silicon Valley Bank Corp's case, 91% of their deposit base was above the $250,000 insured level. That's why they had the ability to have such a trouble that comes on so quickly, because 91% was above the insurance level. So when you're looking at our local banks, and I, I don't need to name them all, but I've looked at them, you're basically talking uh, 45 to 50 percent, right? Because anytime you're a big company, you're going to be above the insurance level. right? So if, you're, if your deposit base is 45, 50, 55 percent insured from an FDIC insurance basis – that bank is very secure. That bank is very on very solid ground. But obviously, in Silicon Valley's case, when you sort of picture tilting to one side and it being 91% is uninsured deposits, yeah, that's where the problem lies.
0: Yeah, well, and then guys like Greg Becker, the CEO of Silicon Valley, he sold off 11% of his stock a week or so before this hit. So, and And the other... Uh, Upper management's all sold off millions of dollars worth of their stock too. So, you know, I can't help but smell a rat somewhere that they knew it was coming.
1: Yeah, the one thing I didn't have time to analyze, a lot of those executives across the board, every industry, um, will have a plan in place where they schedule their sales. And so some executives basically never sell you have some that are consistently doing some sales to just always sort of diversify and keep liquid, you know, maybe they got a house to buy or whatever whatever they so urgently need to spend their money on. So some are really really good about um just never making a sale and I'll use JB Jamie, Jamie Diamond as an example out of uh JP Morgan. I couldn't re- I couldn't tell you the last time I remember him having a sale, um, of course he's wonderfully compensated as well. You know, 20 million a year goes, keeps you from needing to sell too many shares, but, um,
0: it could be all right.
1: Yeah. But, but there are a lot of executives that are on usually a quarterly sales plan. Now the Silicon Valley situation is even slightly more interesting because the CEO also is one of the directors at the San Francisco Federal Reserve Board. I think that's the right way to say it. So it's not like he was some bumpkin that didn't know anything about anything and somehow ended up as the CEO. He's in tune and sitting on boards and committees. He knows where the stresses are in the banking system, not just at his bank, but in all the banks. He, he, He should have been... One of the most well-informed CEOs in the country, in, in as it relates to banking, um, and for them to still have this blunder, uh, this susceptibility—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's really amazing. At, at some point, right? Like if it, on any business, if you know you've got in essence a ninety-one percent problem. That should be the focus of your attention. And apparently it's been there for quite a while. Like it wasn't always that high, but it's always been very lopsided, apparently. So, you know, you'd think it would have uh you'd think it would have been something that the board, that the CEO, that the CFO is chief financial officer, you'd think it would have been stuff that they're really, really interested in deleveraging the bank in that regard. And again, just as a statement again the banks that we've got around here none of them are in that situation right none of them have that kind of lopsidedness so you know well, again <clears throat> we've had plenty of phone calls about it but really the the it's it's very much focused in that lopsided area of the country because of venture capital because of the tech industry the size of what that because that's so concentrated uh, out there, it, it, it's what really kind of caused the situation to to be so goofy as it was.
0: Yeah, because I just I'm curious where the line is where it goes from a liquidity problem to a solvency problem when you are 91% uninsured.
1: Yeah, so uh, the solvency becomes the problem after the liquidity problem. Because, right, as long as all the money is there, all those deposits are there. You're liquid. Right. And you're solvent.
0: Right. So where does that But happen? once
1: the liquidity draws out, right, once people started moving vast quantities of money. So what happened in, was, in essence, this. A bunch of the venture capital backers and people told their companies, go pull your money. That bank has risk. So they were pulling that money out in record dollar flow right i mean it was billions and billions and billions of dollars that moved on last wednesday alone out of the bank and so what they thought was a manageable issue again taking a hit on that balance sheet problem when they sold the 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 bond portfolio quickly became a full-on liquidity and solvency issue right. because in essence any bank has more uh, they're able to use leverage right you They never, no bank operates under the idea that they have all the cash on hand to meet all their obligations every day. That's not how banking works. So... Banking is set up so that if you bring in a dollar of deposit, you can make $10 worth of loans. I think it's a 10 to 1 ratio, or maybe it's 8 to 1. So you bring in a dollar of deposit, you can make $8 worth of loans. So what that tells you, of course, is if everyone showed up on the same day and wanted their money, the bank would not have the liquidity to do that. Of course that. not, yeah. yeah. And that's the entire banking sector. That has nothing to do individually with Silicon Valley bank Corp or any other bank. The entire banking industry that's what it's set up to do. They are not simply bringing in a deposit and trying to make just the spread on um, just the short term to medium term spread. They're trying to bring your dollar in and loan it eight times over. That's how the bank is trying to make their money. And it's true even on the credit union side, right? They're all, it's all, we're trying to borrow short and lend long.
0: Right. So when they're loaning money they don't have and then, things go bad right is that maybe you could explain to me is that like what what a signature bank does is that can you define that for me
1: no signature bank that's actually the name of the other insolvent bank that they just have the quirky name of signature bank okay
0: so that's not a it's a thing it's a a, a entity
1: yes yes sorry to to not make that clear enough yeah that's actually their name okay okay as an equivalent to, uh, I'll use a name that doesn't exist anymore: Marine Midland. Right, right. It's right. it's just their name. Right. There is
0: no marine in the bank. The bank <laughs> Cor- is not in a marine. Correct,
1: correct. <laughs> correct. Has nothing to do with ships and right. the navy or anything like that. That's right. So, um, you know, from that pure idea of, you know, is it is it liquidity? Is it solvency? That's the very nature going back almost a hundred years to what the government was trying to solve as a problem, right? So in the Great Depression, you literally had bank runs that would end in an insolvent bank or a bank that was closed, and there used to be no government insurance. Your money literally was gone. It just didn't exist. And so within the Depression, that's why you get expressions of like, hide your money in your mattress. Obviously, that is not the way to have a fully functioning economy if all you needed was rumor and innuendo to constantly
0: have bank failures. Right, plus 6% inflation. You hide your money in your right. under your mattress. A year from now, it's only worth 94
1: cents. Yeah. So the solution, and it's obviously been uh, an incredible... Um, I'll say invention because I don't think it had existed anywhere else before. Um, and an incredible invention and improvement to our financial system was the idea of FDIC insurance, which basically says the government will backstop any of those accounts. And <clears throat> it's, it has, for all intents and purposes, worked incredibly well over the years that bank failures that happen now are generally related to them making bad loans, bad real estate decisions or bad bond buying decisions and having nothing to do with just rumor and innuendo hurting the bank, right? The FDIC insurance eliminates it. So like me in my life, I have my local checking account. I don't ever go above 250,000 in it. And I don't have a care in the world because I know even if the bank went to to dust, the government will come in and backstop my checking account and everything will be fine. And it basically would have a one-day delay. Wow. My checks would clear. Everything would be fine.
0: That's a pretty good deal for the banks. It's a pretty good deal for us as citizens, as Citizens, quite well, honestly. Yeah. yeah, Our money is protected. Yeah, Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are just joining us, if you... Have not been uh, listening the whole time. We're talking to Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management, and you can feel free to join our conversation here on the air. All you have to do is call 433 1433. We'd love to have your input on what's going on. And of course, if you would like to have a consultation with Mr. Connor about your financial uh, wellness, call 439 1143. That's 439 439- 1143, and of course, he is located at 5660 Snyder Drive here in Lockport, com. So
1: you roll right through that.
0: Why, thanks. That's awesome. It's amazing. I can even read my own handwriting, sort of. Well, that's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> did I hear you did say 5860? I was distracted. You did say 5860 Snyder Drive?
0: I did, 5860. Okay. Yep. Just check. Yeah, we don't want to have him land over at the dentist's office over there, <laughs> and let at your house. That's right.
1: That's right. <laughs> I did actually just uh, random aside. I had uh, I've been battling some internet connectivity issues. Oh boy! And um, as as we all know, maybe calling into customer service for our local cable company is not always the not always the best experience of our lives. So uh when I when I needed to make another call, I actually went and in, checked with each of my neighbors there over on Snyder Drive and uh popped in and just wanted to ask them if they were having any internet trouble. And uh I got to be inside the dentist's office next to me and what a lovely place. That's uh that's that's quite a <laughs> quite an office there. Yeah. yeah. Good I, stuff. Uh, that's uh that's a good business. And um so as it turns out Spectrum oh, yeah, said their name anyway. Uh, <laughs> they came out and uh said there had been a problem in with a cracked line out on Snyder Drive and that they had replaced it the night before and I haven't had any issues since then, but it was uh it, it had been about 3 weeks of really problematic internet and phone service. Um, because as that, as that line kind of bounced around, you would lose the signal temporarily. Yeah. So for anyone that I was talking to on the phone where all of a sudden the line went dead, I did not hang up on you, even though it would have maybe sounded like I hung up on you. So I think I got it resolved for everyone.
0: <laughs> That's good.
1: <laughs> you just
0: never know. You never what's know. What's going to happen. <laughs> All right, what other questions did I have lined up for you? Do you whatever. What do you want to bring up?
1: Well, I'm just uh, I'm I'm seeing the headline on. I got the computer up and running. CNBC says Dow drops 400 points as First Republic slide rattles Wall Street. Um, and I just wanted to check where First Republic is. So uh, I'm showing them down eight dollars to twenty six twenty nine. Uh, and, again, that's after the bailout that got structured where $30 billion of deposits got put into the bank. And, uh, again, last week they were up around 90 bucks on last Friday. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, look, in the end, what it probably means for the banks, and I, I should probably make this as a, a broad statement just for anyone owning. Because we have plenty of people that own some of the local banks, and, and they've all – Trended lower in this news. What it probably means is that the government will make some modest changes, probably won't be very dramatic because Congress can't agree on anything. So it'll probably be some level of modest changes that might make them a little less profitable. Just think of it like that. Like, you know, at the end of the day, when you say, why, you know, if this bank was in Silicon Valley and it doesn't have anything to do with, Lockport new york why why are you know Evans and key and mt and citizens why are they all down on this news? well, as a general statement they 're going to make an assumption within the market that they 're probably all going to be a little less profitable right whether it 's on their bond portfolios or that the, that the government will modify some of their insurance terms or something and they 'll bring on a little more expense. And so it might make them a little less profitable, um, but I think in the big scheme of things, I don't see that any of the locals have any big problem. It's just not—it's just not their function of what. How they make their money, how they make their loans, that sort of thing. I don't, I just don't see that it becomes a a life or death situation for them. So in the short term, of course, there's always volatility and, you know, sometimes you just gotta shake it off and, and let a little time go by. But we'll see. It's interesting to watch, um, to watch the, the market reactions in a bailout situation where, you know, you sort of say, well, it's getting bailed out. Shouldn't that be good news? And it's, as I said, it's down and it just went from down eight to about down 864. Um, but the problem becomes a profitability issue, right? Are they going right. to continue to, under the terms of their bailout, will they make as much money or will they make less money? And it's pretty safe assumption they're going to make, make less, less money. So the stock's right. going to go down on that news. And so that's, that's the constant adjustment that, that the markets are trying to digest. As news continues to come out, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. so again that 's the big news of the week, um, but that overall the markets were up for the week, and you know we'll, again we 'll see how today actually plays out by the time we get to four o 'clock but i I do just always say to people like for as much as you think you know and and the history behind it, sometimes the market just surprises you how it digests the news and what goes up on it and what goes down, and so again, the idea quickly became that the rest of the market took some of this news in stride in a good way Mm -hmm. because they think it'll put some pressure on the Federal Reserve to not keep raising rates. Now, again, my assumption, my base assumption is that next week, the Fed will still move rates up 25 basis points. But I think after that, it really becomes difficult to see that they would keep raising rates right in this Scenario where the banks are under the stress, it becomes harder to see that they would keep raising rates.
0: Right. Yeah. But Janice Yellen says everything's fine, fine, fine.
1: Yeah. Well, She's... again, I mean, and I, I, I cringe sometimes at how the government officials come off. But I would oh. say, like, if you if you really do think of the broad banking sector, it's fine. And again, if you're if you're under the FDIC insurance limit, you don't have a f- a care in the world, even as a as a bank um, account holder, mm-hmm. even if the bank, even if a bank failed, your money is available because of the FDIC insurance, right? So even with Silicon Valley, um, the regulators came in last Friday. By Monday, they were open, and your okay. money was available.
0: Now, when when did the FDIC go from a hundred thousand to two hundred
1: and fifty thousand? That was raised. In during the Great Financial Crisis in oh eight oh nine Frank
0: Dad days yeah
1: um, that that was and you know sort of time brings on how ridiculous it is to think that prior to that it was the limit was only a hundred thousand even now for for the average uh, company for a lot of retirees two hundred fifty thousand is not a whole lot of money when you think of uh what kind of account they might have going on you know so I've got situations with clients where when we put some money to work in CDs um, we have to sp- you know we only are putting in 250,000 in each bank' CDs that we might own right. in a brokerage account and for the very same reason though right they have the FDIC insurance but only up to the 250 so we have to spread it around if we if we've got the need to put, Say five hundred thousand to work or eight hundred thousand to work. We're breaking it up into multiple bank, C- separate bank CDs Great. at different banks, so that we always maintain the insurance limit.
0: Right now, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the remarkable thing about uh, the Silicon Valley Bank was didn't they end up bailing the whole thing out? So that yeah, they kind of set a new precedence It doesn't two fifty. You know that was a spit in the pond, and they ended up bailing out billions.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, it, it's, it's not so much a case of bailing it out as if money got printed by the government. What they basically said is there's enough assets here that we can make everybody not have any principal loss. Okay. So there is a difference, right? If, if picture a scenario where the regulators show up and you know the vault gets opened and there's literally 3 pennies laying on the floor now that's a bailout right there's just nothing left right but in this scenario there was plenty of actual value right the loans on their books have value there was plenty of cash still within the company so what they basically are saying is we 're able to make everyone whole we We can do this and not have anyone take any principal loss so it is it 's unusual but it 's not it's it has happened before, um, especially in the it, back in eight nine because there were uh, many 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 bank failures at that time period and I think probably over the let 's say the last forty years, the average has probably been between 10 and 15 bank failures a year they just tend to be very small banks
0: right so not um, making the news
1: but but this scenario is one of the situations where to stem the tide of not having a cascading effect the fed uh, the government has basically said yeah we've we've got enough money here in this situation where we can make everyone whole and I think that's fine. I don't think it increases any risk into the system. I think it's them sort of proactively um, uh, calming the waters down so that people don't look at the next bank or the bank after that and think, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, right. my gosh.
0: It cause a domino effect at that Correct, point.
1: Correct, right? Because right. in essence – Banking is an issue of confidence, and so again, the idea of them saying look we 're going to be able to make everyone whole it 's not out of the taxpayer the the numbers i 've seen it 's not out of any of our pockets it's it 's not any of that um, It could change, I suppose, if the loans on the books start going bad, mm-hmm. something like that um, if because eventually what happens is those loans need to get sold to somebody else, whether it 's to another bank or in theory to a venture capital firm or a leveraged buyout firm, uh, they'll put those loans up for sale. And if they only get 20 cents on the dollar, well, obviously that's a much bigger problem. But the expectation would not be 20 cents on the dollar. The expectation would be a very good return. And again, Mm -hmm. kind of the difference of saying, is it a liquidity problem or is it a solvency Solvency problem? problem. right? Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It, It may end up being a little bit different when you get two to four to six months down the road and some of those final numbers come in. Maybe it'll end up being that they overpromised a little bit. Mm-hmm. But as it stands, I get what they're doing. Uh, okay. They 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 think there's real value and they think it was a short term um, liquidity problem that sort of materialized in a t tw- like a twenty four hour span. Right. And as I said, that's just not how any bank is set up to run. Like they yeah. are not prepared to liquefy all of their holdings, right? Whether it's a bond portfolio or loans to meet the demands of all their depositors. That's just not how Mm -hmm. they're set up to run. They are set, money comes in, some money goes out, but a whole bunch of money stays with them, whether it's on a CD basis or just an operating account basis. And that's how they make their money. So yeah, if it all sloshes out the door in a 24 hour window, yeah, they'd, they'd all have a problem.
0: That's going to leave a mark, yeah. So the other thing I l- heard some commentators talking about was in lieu of a bailout, they're talking about a bail-in. Any idea what that's all about?
1: I would say that's basically what what First Republic has gone through, where other banks have deposited thirty billion dollars mm-hmm. to stabilize their their balance sheet in the moment, right? To to stave off a liquidity crisis. Okay. So it takes. Companies have used – have had that scenario in various forms. Uh, I'll use Jamie Dimon again years ago. There was – had been some news, some problem uh, with J.P. Morgan many years ago. I don't know, 8, 10, 12 years ago, something. And uh, they made an announcement that their CEO, Jamie Dimon, was buying like $15 million worth of shares on the common shares at the market. No special, I'm the executive and I'm getting stock options or none of that. Just I've got 15 million burning a hole in my pocket and I'm going to show my, I'm going to show the confidence I have in the company I run. That provided sort of a psychological lift to what was Otherwise, impacting that company, right? right? And and so it create. Uh, so when you use it as a bail in term instead of a bailout, it's the idea of what can you do to inject some confidence into that situation. So it takes various forms over the years. Sometimes it's from the executives. Sometimes it's from other companies. And we haven't mentioned them. Sometimes it comes from Warren Buffett.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right back in o eight o nine, Berkshire Hathaway invested. Billions of dollars into General Electric, into Bank of America, into Goldman Sachs, um, probably something other that I'm not remembering. Mm-hmm. And any time you get Warren Buffett, his money, it's like an inherent seal of approval. right? And so, again, it's the idea of injecting confidence into the situation. Right. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a partnership. Sometimes it's reputation.
0: Right. Well, this time, wasn't it some of the banks from UK uh, did the the bail in? Because they were feeling the rumble over there.
1: Yeah, so I don't have quite the understanding. what. So what that is, Silicon Valley had obviously some mm-hmm. international relationships, and so they had a separate subsidiary over there, and they had their own conditions of being problematic. I'm not sure what that Ended up resolving, but yes, they had a problem and uh, the financial regulator in the UK, which no longer is part of the EU, right. uh, they had to solve that problem on their own terms, you know, on on their own uh, say-so. So it's always a challenge uh, when you break out the multiple jurisdictions to to factor in how you're solving those subsidiary problems.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite complex, but yet... It always seems to work itself out. See yeah. what happens at the end of the day.
1: Sorry, I couldn't explain that one better. That's, that's all right. that. That's international. That's very, very right. challenging.
0: Yeah. It is. No, you did a great job, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. If you would like a consultation with him, we strongly recommend that you call 439-1143. That's 439-1143. Connor Wealth Management at fifty eight sixty Snyder Drive here in Lockport. Uh, Twenty seconds.
1: It is St. Patrick's Day. Get out there, wear something green, yellow, or orange if you're so inclined, and stay safe.
0: All right. Thanks, Eric. Have a glorious weekend yourself.